Likuti Sikha is Chelech Aleph, volume 21, the first Sikha for Parshat Tisave. This Sikha is a wonderful explanation on the argument which Moshe Rabbeinu made after some Jews committed the terrible sin of the golden calf, the Chet Ego, and he begged Hashem to forgive them, and he said, if not, if you do not forgive them, then Mecheinin on the Sifra Chashe erase me, take me out of the book that which you have written. Okay, it's worthwhile to see the actual verse in chapter 32, verse 32 in this Chumash, in Parshish Kisiso. And of course, a wonderful lesson that we can all take away from this. As an introduction, just to familiarize ourselves with several concepts, number one, the idea of a name. What is inherently the idea of a name? The name, its primary purpose is for the Zulas, for someone external, someone outside of oneself, okay, either as a, a means of reference, a means of identification, to draw one's attention, but a person for himself, for one's own self, doesn't need a name. I mean, you don't call yourself by your own name. In fact, you just, you are you. In other words, your essential essence, your real you, doesn't need a name. It's you. Another thing to familiarize ourselves with, the idea of a mitzvah. We know that the precepts, the commandments which we fulfill are always referred to as mitzvahs. What does the word mitzvah really mean? Well, the word mitzvah can mean a command, but there are other words for that in Lashon Kodesh in Hebrew, or mitzvah also comes from the root word, from the etymology of the word tzafsa, which means a bond, a connection. Well, she's both true. When you do a mitzvah, when you perform a mitzvah, you are connecting in that special way to Hashem. One more thing, the k'toyres, the incense, that special service in the Holy Temple. And the Torah describes and prescribes precisely the herbs that have to go into it. One of them, the Talmud points out, is the chelbena. Chelbena actually was a very foul-smelling uh, herb. had a terrible odor. And the question is, why would Hashem say, uh, command us to mix it in to the ktoides, to the incense, which all had such a beautiful, amazing aroma. And this, Hashem said to throw it in, almost like to ruin it. And the Talmud tells us, yes, because this represents the poish e Yisrael, the lowest sinners amongst the Jewish people. And from this, the Talmud derives that, quote, any fast day, meaning any formal prayer, which does not include even the lowest sinners is not a proper prayer. Because just like the Ktoiris, which was the ultimate service in the Beis HaMikdash in the Holy Temple, if it did not include that one herb, then it would be insufficient. And if it's insufficient, it wouldn't be fit for the service. Let's go into the Sikha. So regarding the Parsha's Titzavah, this entire Parsha, it says in the Baal HaTurim, and also... There are other references for it also elsewhere in the Zoyar and a bit of a Chai elsewhere. That this is the only Parsha since Moshe Rabbeinu was born, since the birth of Moshe in Parsha Shmois, this is the first time and perhaps the only time up until the last Chomish in the Torah where we do not encounter Moshe's name. We don't have, not once is his name mentioned in this Parsha. And what is the reason for this, says the Balaturim? Because Moshe Rabbeinu said to Kaddish Baruch Hu, in chapter 32, verse 32, after the, the people sinned with the golden calf, 
and Moshe was pleading that Hashem should forgive them. And Moshe said, if, and if not, if you refuse to forgive them, then erase me from the entire book which you have written. Now, there's a rule which the Gemara says, the Talmud says, when a chacham, when a righteous sage gives a curse, even if it's stipulated on a certain condition, but the fact that it was uttered, the fact that it came out from a chacham, from a righteous scholar, it has an effect and it comes. And this is where it was fulfilled. Since Moshe said it, it had some effect, even though at the end Hashem did forgive them, but still, this was the effect. Now the Rebbe says everything in the Torah we know is exact, precise, and accurate. Therefore, there must be there must be some special connection here. There must be some special reason why this particular parsha was chosen to be the one in which this quote curse was fulfilled, in which this idea came about that Moshe's name should not be mentioned at all, and this must be because the entire content, the entire point, the theme of this parsha must connect to this idea of Moshe demanding that his name be erased. Especially considering that logically, this should not have taken place in this parsha, Because the whole mention of that argument of Moshe, of that demand of Moshe, doesn't come until much later, until next week's Parsha and Parsha's Kisisa. So if anything, logically speaking, it should have appeared in a later Parsha in the Torah. The fact that it appears here is very telling. That in itself serves as proof that there has to be an inherent connection between the Parsha and what happened that Moshe's name is not mentioned. And therefore we need to understand what is the idea of erasing Moshe's name to the parsha of Tetzava, which in general, what is the parsha of Tetzava? How does it break down? It speaks about the kindling of the menorah, the uh, preparing, the, the tailoring, the making of the priestly garments, and then later the installation, the inauguration, installation of Aaron and his sons as Kainim, and it culminates, it concludes with the instructions of how to build the Mizbeach HaKtores, the altar on which they would offer the incense. Another thing we need to understand, if we think about it, the fact of Moshe's name not being mentioned in the Parsha seems to be actually almost like counterproductive. Because since Moshe's name is not mentioned in the Parsha, what is mentioned in the Parsha? Moshe's essence. In other words, something as superficial as his name is not there, that in turn results that Moshe himself, the viata, the you, the essence of Moshe is there. The whole point was that he shouldn't be mentioned. And here he's mentioned perhaps even more on a, in a deeper sense. It's not just his name, but it's him, his entirety, his whole being, his whole essence. So that we will understand it first by introducing and understanding what exactly was Moshe demanding? In other words, what exactly was he saying? What was his threat here? What was he demanding of Hashem? What, what was this thing? If you don't forgive them, then take me out of the Torah. What does one have to do with the other? The answer is, we know, that Moshe's entire being is Torah. Moshe's entire essence is Torah. 
And therefore, it's understood that if Moshe says, erase me from the Torah, it's like he's saying, take, take away the essence of my being. I, I don't want to exist anymore. In other words, this, this would affect him, Moshe Rabbeinu, to the core of his being. Now, for whom was Moshe Rabbeinu ready to sacrifice it all? For whom was he ready to give this all away, his whole being, his whole point of living? For the Jew who sinned. For the lowly Jew who sinned. Not for the Jews who didn't sin. They didn't need the atonement. Now for him, Moshe Rabbeinu was ready to forego his connection to the Torah, which was his whole being. And the question is, how is this? This seems odd. It's like, why would Moshe, how and why would Moshe be ready to give everything away just for such a Jew? Also, we need to understand, what is the really, what's the connection between Hashem forgiving the Jewish people and him being erased in the Torah? In other words, how do the two come together? In other words, it's a, we, on the one hand, we can understand that Moshe Rabbeinu was ready to give it all up. And what was most important to him, the greatest thing in his life was Torah, so he was ready to give that up. But still, what is the connection between being erased from the Torah, not being mentioned in the Torah, and the Jews being forgiven? How did the two come together? Now Rashi explains that the way the two come together is Moshe basically said, look, if you don't forgive them, then later generations will say, ha, he is the leader, should have stood by them. He is the leader, should have stood up for them. And he didn't, because the fact is he didn't forgive them, and therefore it's going to look bad. It's going to reflect bad on Moshe. That's how Rashi presents it. But the Rebbe says this is not so understandable. This is not so, quote-unquote, smooth. Why? Because this is not what seems to come out from the, from the verses, that Moshe was concerned about himself. And it really would be odd. And in such a dire situation, such a grave circumstance, where the Jews are not being forgiven such a terrible sin, and Moshe is only concerned about his image, and how he's going to look for posterity to future generations, it doesn't seem to be correct. Rather, says the Rebbe, the explanation is as follows. Moshe is one thing with the Jewish people. In other words, Moshe and the Jewish people are one, the Jewish people and Moshe are one. In, there's no way to even separate the two. So much so, that when Moshe Rabbeinu was still up in heaven to receive the Torah, to receive the Luchais, the tablets, as he's about to go down, what does Hashem say to him? Your people sinned. And Hashem says to him, Leich Reid, go down. And the sages tell us, what does this mean? Hashem was telling him, you just went down in level. You're going down a level. And this wasn't a punishment from Hashem, that Hashem was being punitive to him or demoting him or degrading him in, in any way. But rather, this was automatic. Because Moshe and the Yidin are all one, it's, it's, it's one and the same thing. Therefore, when the Yidin fell, when the Jews fell, Moshe fell. Because he's one thing with the Jewish people. Now his unity with the Jewish people, his oneness with all B'nai Yisrael is even greater than his connection to the Torah. And this actually parallels, in a sense, Hashem's connection with the Jewish people versus Hashem's connection with the Torah. We know that, the, as the Zohar says, that the Torah and Hashem is all one thing. Yet, the connection of Hashem with the Eden are, is even greater. To the extent that the Medrash says, Yisrael Kadmo, that the Jewish people preceded the Torah. So even before there was a connection, so to speak, between Hashem and the Torah, there was already a connection between Hashem and the Bnei Yisrael. And the Rebbe says this also 
is likewise takes place by all Jewish leaders throughout the generations, parallel to Moshe, that they are one with the people, that as no, notwithstanding the fact that they are so inherently connected to their teachings, to their Torah, to the Torah that they learn, the Torah that they teach, it's one with them, but yet their connection to the people in general. And the Rebbe says, particularly to those who are mekusher to them, who are connected to them, and directly affiliated with them, is greater than that, and surpasses their connection that they have with their Torah. This is also the explanation. Now we'll understand what Moshe meant when he said, erase me from the book that you have written. Since his connection with the Yidin is greater than his connection with the Torah, therefore, number one, his mesidus nefesh, his self-sacrifice, his selflessness for the Yidin is greater than his self-sacrifice for the Torah. Number two, his oneness with the Jews is not just his unity with the Jewish people, is not just for the good ones, it's not just with those who are on a level, but rather for each and every single one. How is it possible? They sinned. They went against the Torah. The answer is because his connection with them is greater than, the, than his connection with the Torah. So therefore, even when they failed to comply with the Torah, even when they, so to speak, are lost from the Torah, but yet Moshe is connected to them because his connection surpasses even the connection of Torah. And this is the meaning of what he said, that if you cannot tolerate these Jews, he's saying to Hashem, in other words, and therefore forgive them, if the Torah cannot tolerate it, if through the rules of the Torah there isn't forgiveness, then erase it for the Torah. I don't want the Torah should be in the way, so to speak. Because if the Torah is out of the way, this filter, this obstacle, if it is indeed an obstacle that it doesn't allow for forgiveness for them, then we'll have to just bring out that in, in, and reveal that essential connection that's between me and the Jewish people, and then they'll be forgiven. In other words, if we cannot affect the forgiveness through Torah, then erase me from the Torah. Let's, let's, let's get the Torah out of the way. And it's just me and them. And says the Rebbe now will appreciate the connection between this whole thing and Parshas Tetzavah. This unity of Moshe and the Yidden results in the Atta Tetzavah. You, you meaning your essence, you Moshe, the essential Moshe, the true you, Tetzavah, you connect, you bond. You connect B'nai Yisrael. In other words, if we're dealing with the, quote, superficial or outward expression of Moshe, which is expressed in a name, there you cannot affect an equal connection between each and every Jew and Moshe. Because the fact is there are different levels. There are, different, there are good Jews, there are bad Jews. There are Jews who, who behave well, there are Jews who unfortunately misbehave, as was the case in the ego. But the Atta, when it's you, when it's Moshe's essence, Tetzavah, then you connect. Which mitzvah? Which is the first mitzvah that's mentioned in the parsha? The mitzvah of kindling the menorah. And what does Hashem say? They should take to you. Why are they bringing him the oil? Why Moshe? Why is this Moshe? They should bring it to Aaron. Aaron is the one who lights the menorah. Rather, the answer, says the Rebbe, is because Aaron is only capable of quote-unquote, kindling the menorah, kindling the candles of those who are predisposed and ready to be a candle, meaning the good Jews. The menorah is symbolic of lighting the neshama, lighting the souls of all Jews, of igniting that spark. 
Aaron is only capable of dealing with those that are on some level that are that are waiting and ready to 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 be to be to be kindled, to be ignited, to be inspired. But the Jew that is very distant from that, maybe not so much. Maybe Aaron is not capable of that. And therefore, Hashem says, the power, the source of power for Aaron being able to light the Venera has to come to you. It should come to you. That way, all even all these Jews that are on the periphery, the Jews that are really on the lowest level, they too will be part of this. And now we can appreciate the connection of this idea that Moshe's name is not mentioned at all in this parsha to the rest of the parsha. Through, if you look the whole story, the whole idea of the priesthood of Aaron and his sons throughout, it keeps on emphasizing the idea, the fact that it all comes through Moshe. When Hashem says to him, now you bring Aaron and his sons close, you train them, you inaugurate them. And then it says, and you shall make the priestly garments. And then later, of course, when he actually inaugurated them, it had to come through Moshe. Moshe was the one who set the tone. Why? Back to this point. Because Aaron, from his own level, is not, is not, his, what's his whole idea? What is his whole essence of Aaron? The idea of kahuna, of priesthood, and the holiness of the Mishkan. That's very lofty. That's very high. He cannot relate to, and he, can, and, and he cannot deal with the, low, the lowly Jews. Only those who are actively Hashem, servants of God, or, or ready to be servants of God, who are open to it. But those who are on a low level, he, he doesn't have the power to do so. Where does that come from? That comes from Moshe. The Ve'ata Tetzava. You are the one. You are the one who set the tone for Kahuna. And therefore, now we'll appreciate something interesting. And after all of this, what, is, what are the instructions in the end of the Parsha? How to construct the golden Mizbeach, the golden altar, or the Mizbeach Haktoiris, the altar for the incense. Why is it here? The placement seems to be odd. This Mizbeach should have been described in the previous Parsha, Parsha's Truma, where it describes the Mishkan, the tabernacle, and all the vessels. Why was it left for here? Because what does Ketoiris represent? What does the incense represent? It symbolizes the unity of every single Jew, as we said in the introduction, as the Talmud, um, um, the Talmud, the Talmud um, um, derives from this idea, that from the idea of the Ketoiris, that every single Jew needs to be included. Just like in the Ketoiris, in the incense, the Chelbano was included as one of the 11 herbs which went into the mixture, which went into the mix in order to make it fit for the mitzvah. Likewise, what is mentioned at the end of the parasha? The mitzvah of offering the Ketoiris, and it culminates with describing that once a year when the Ketoiris will be placed on this, on this um, uh, altar, that is the day, the ultimate day, when all Jews come together, even the lowest of sinners come together, that's the day of Yom Kippur. Says the Rebbe, there's a wonderful, wonderful lesson over here. That just like Moshe Rabbeinu was ready to give up everything, even that which is most dear and lofty to him, for who? For the lowliest of Jews, for the terrible sinners, that it's obvious that this is not just triggered by the mitzvah of the Ahaftoriachakamoicha, you should love your fellow as yourself. Because this is not, quote, yourself of Moshe. Not at all. 
Not even in the in the in in, in the longest stretch. These are not people who were in any way comparable, compatible to Moshe. And yet, what was Moshe ready to do? People who were totally ripped away from the Torah, but he, as the faithful shepherd, was ready to give up everything for them. He, as the faithful shepherd, also gave this power to us, that we should give it all for every single Jew, regardless of his standing in Torah and mitzvahs. And now we'll appreciate Remember that Rashi will appreciate what exactly Moshe was saying. Moshe says to Hashem, if you're not going to forgive the sin, and I am I'm going to remain in your book, I have a problem with that. Not because of my image, but because of the message that it's going to send to later generations. The message it's going to send to later generations is, well, if someone's not on your level, or if somebody's not connected to the Torah, then you can't help them. That's not the message that Moshe wanted us to have. The message that Moshe wanted us to have is that you have to be ready to give up everything that's dear and important to you, even your high lofty level, even your connection to the Torah, just to help another yid.